Today, I'm excited to talk with Dave Maconi. Uh, did I pronounce your name right, Dave? You got it, yep. Awesome. So you have a podcast called Brains and Gains, uh, and I was um, pleasantly surprised to see a podcast that seemed to be kind of on a similar tone as, as mine in the sense that you are interested in similar type of questions as, as I am and you would like to get on guests similar to uh, that I like to get on. So I thought that it would be an interesting conversation about some of the lessons that we've learned through these interviews and also just our personal interests about dieting and training and all that kind of stuff. But uh, first, maybe just let's introduce you to the audience. So how long have you been into fitness and uh, what got you into this whole podcasting thing? Sure. So, yeah, I mean, the fitness thing started probably when I was like eight years old, to be honest, um, really young. I remember like just wanting to be leaner even at that age. And I was like running around. I remember seeing like this old couple like walk past me and like talk about me, like being surprised at this like random kid just like running on his own. Um, and then when I was probably like 10 to 12, I started getting too skinny, um, kind of went in the other direction. Uh, so right around the start of high school, maybe a little bit before that, I really got into lifting. Um, and ever since then, it's just been a pretty much an obsession, um, at, too much of an obsession <laughs> at some times, but, um, I've kind of backed off a little bit to the more healthy at this point. And then the podcast really just started last September, um, you know, cause I was in residency up until last summer. Um, and so once I finished, I had a little bit more time, um, you know, and so I figured how can I kind of get involved with this and, you know, still have it part of my life. Cause as you know, after you're training for over a decade, you know, you can't really just focus on making progress all the time because it just doesn't happen after a while. So, uh, the podcast was kind of a fun way to still be involved, uh, and still kind of be passionate about it. And then, as you also know, the uh, the podcast world is very saturated at this point, um, as much of the fitness world is. And so that's kind of where I got the idea for the, the charity donations for all the podcasts I do. Because um, I figured this way, even if it doesn't go anywhere, you know, if it's just kind of something that I end up doing, I'll enjoy it. And this way, people are at least helped out by, you know, who gets the donations. So. Yeah, that is actually a genius uh, strategy, <laughs> also in the sense of getting guests. I was like, when I saw that, I was like, first of all, that's a very nice thing to do. But also like, damn it, that is smart. I don't know if it was intentional from your end but i was like i mean it's if i was some busy fitness celebrity or whatnot and was wasn't sure if i wanted to go on someone's podcast i would be like yeah i mean that's kind of reflects pretty well on me that i'm donating to some good cause so yeah well played there <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure it helps yeah i mean i'm sure some like the particularly busy people um they feel good about you know coming on knowing that it's contributing to a charity right right yeah so um how has your uh, lifting and, and training journey been? So um, how for how long would you say have you been following the more kind of evidence-based uh, practices in, in lifting? Yeah, I mean, I was fortunate enough to get into that aspect pretty much right away. Um, you know, I read when I was 13, I think, I read Body for Life. And, you know, I mean, nowadays you might look at that and say it's not like completely evidence-based. But at the time, I mean, it was it was a pretty good book. I mean, you know, they talked about meal frequency, like nutrition and all that. They said don't really focus a ton on supplements. Um, so I, thankfully, I, I never really went through that teenage period of, you know, thinking supplements were everything. Um, and then I had a big influence from Tom Venuto, who, who's been on the podcast. Um, so really early on, I got into kind of the evidence-based stuff. And I've always just kind of been an analytical, logical person. Um, so it's very hard for me to really get behind something if I don't see some evidence for it. Um, so thankfully, I, I kind of never fell into the trap of like all the bro signs. Right. Just wanted to ask in the beginning, are you potentially considering if the podcast takes off a little bit uh, that 
you would try to get in, make a career for yourself in the fitness world? And because uh, I know that you were a, a dentist uh, in your Correct, yeah, uh, that's your full time job. So are you potentially interested in uh, venturing out and try to set something up for yourself in the fitness world as well? Uh, you know, I don't know if I would. Um, for one, just you know, I am fortunate to have a really great career, um, very stable, and kind of set up for life in that regard. Um, so it would be very hard to match that in the fitness industry with how volatile the industry is. Um, you know, I mean, if you look at who is relevant today, I mean, even five years ago, a lot of those names weren't around. And 10 years ago, I mean, it's just a different world, um, you know. So it, it's very volatile. You have to keep kind of being, you have to be very creative, um, which is great. But, you know, I, I do see some of the people who are really big now, and I wonder if they've really thought about what they're going to be doing, you know, 20, 30 years from now. Um, and some people clearly have, and, and other people I think maybe not so much. Um, the other side of that is I, I like that I have the different aspects in my life. You know, like if, if I do get to a point where I'm just really tired of the fitness industry, I can just kind of close my laptop <laughs> and not worry about it for a little while, you know. Um, and if, you know, dentistry and everything is kind of stressing me out, I can go to the podcast and fitness industry. And I, I like having both of those aspects. Um, and, you know, I'm sure you've seen this yourself. If you look at some big YouTubers, you know, how many times have they made the same video over the last few years? I mean, I, I've, I'm not going to name any names, but there's people who, you know, they probably put out the same video almost 10 times and they have to, right? Because they're dependent on that for their income. Um, and I would never really want to be in that position because right now it's very enjoyable for me and I, I'd like to keep it as a, um, you know, a stress-free kind of enjoyable activity. Who, who do you mean specifically? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll talk off air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but, uh, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And that, that is kind of, that is an interesting aspect of this whole industry. And I think, uh, I saw Greg Knuckles recently made a post about this, that the most challenging thing about being an, on, not even necessarily an entrepreneur, just someone in the fitness space is not necessarily coming up with new content ideas, not necessarily dealing with clients or any of that stuff. It is actually just being okay saying the same thing over and over again. Um, yeah, so that, that is a big challenge in terms of content production. Um, so what is it like? The people that you interview on your podcast, like what are what are some of the big questions that are most exciting for you at the moment in in the fitness world? Yeah, good question. I think it's it's interesting when you talk to some of these people because you know some of the people we have on, you know, I'm sure we, you have and I have followed them for years. And um, somebody recently, I forget who it was, but somebody was commenting how they really like the questions I ask and how I go more in depth. But I'm sure, like you some of these questions that we ask, we kind of know the answers to already, or we at least know what the guest is going to say because, you know, we've been following their work for years. Um, and so part of it is just getting good questions out there so that the listeners who are maybe newer get to hear different perspectives. Um, so for me, while that that's great, I really like when I can delve into a topic with somebody in an area that I'm not 100% sure of. Um, you know, I know like I was, when I was talking to Borgay versus um, Brian Haycock, and they have very different views on deloads and strategic deconditioning and so stuff like that. You know, I don't know necessarily who I completely agree with. I'm, I'm probably more in the middle there, but um, it's interesting to hear those different perspectives, something that isn't so um, clear cut. Uh, that and then I would also say um, mine is a little separate just from fitness and that I do have like more health professionals on as well. So um, some MDs and PhDs and um, that is certainly an interest of mine as well and a little bit different than what you hear on a traditional podcast. So I like to delve into that a little bit. Yeah, I, I heard your recent interview with uh, Greg Potter on on sleep and i think yeah. i heard you mention that uh, sleep is one of your your bigger challenges and i was like yeah there's finally someone out there who is, who has a similar challenge as what i do because 
that is that is one of the most challenging things for me, both in health and, and fitness. Um, so, like, do you, do you have any kind of uh, things that you find challenging in your your fitness journey, and that you you're like constantly seeking answers to? Yeah, I mean, sleep was definitely a big one for a while. I actually ended up going to somebody for CBT, so that's cognitive behavioral therapy, um, which it, it is helpful. Um, I did describe it a little bit on that podcast, but it's tough to stick to because, I mean, you really have to force yourself to get out of bed if you've been in, like awake for more than 15 minutes. So, you know, if you're up at two in the morning and you can't go back to sleep, you're technically supposed to get up and go do other things despite how exhausted you are. Um, so I, I've always had a pretty big interest in sleep just because I feel like it's one area that I could always improve in. Um, other than that, at this point, you know, I, I don't know how long you've been lifting. I know it's a long time. Um, I'm coming up on about 15 years now. And so after that long, it, the questions I have are more, how can I help other people get to their goals faster? Um, I'm, I don't really have any delusions about making huge strides in my own progress at this point. Um, you know, and a, a few life events along the way have kind of resulted in me kind of having to halt any progress. So um, right now, I'm more just kind of maintaining as well as I can, kind of keeping things going. Um, but my biggest questions and, and where I try to improve it is how I can help other people. Um, because like I said on a few podcasts now, I don't think, you know, obviously there's there's some limit to how big people can get. And I, I really don't believe that one routine is going to magically get you past that. But I do think certain routines will get you there faster than others. Um, and I think that's kind of all, like all of us, the coaches and everything, all what we're trying to do is find the best way to get there in the fastest way possible, you know, of course, while being safe about it. Um, so I think when these different studies come out where it's like, oh, you know, if you try this little thing or um, one that was maybe in the last year or so was on diet breaks, right? I mean, for the longest time, it was cheat days and then it was refeeds. Um, and now you have a lot of coaches switching towards these longer diet breaks, you know, so maybe a conservative refeed here and there, but then taking a solid one, two, maybe even three weeks off. Um, and that's, that's something that was not really talked about much at all, even like five years ago. Um, so that kind of stuff really interests me where we can kind of advance for the people we help out. Right. Uh, who do you like personally who do you find most of uh, interesting or most rewarding to help out like um i kind of carved out a little niche for myself in terms of talking about how to make fitness and yeah i mean just fitness pursuits a part of your life in a way that actually enhances your life and doesn't take over your entire existence completely so that's sort of what i gravitated to partly because that was what's been challenging for me in the past and I thought that it would be interesting to talk about it, but also because I just saw a bit of a gap in the market there in a way. Um, but at the same time, it's also a very challenging niche because there is only so many things to talk about and also the people who will find that challenging will be pretty savvy. Like the most basic information will not satisfy them as much. So who do you personally find the most interest or most rewarding people to help out? Yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you. Um, that's, that's an interesting point you made though, that those people, you know, they, they probably already know quite a bit if they're super obsessed with everything at this point. Um, and you're right, there's only so much to talk about if you're just talking about kind of making it a part of your life. But I would say that's also who I enjoy helping people who um, maybe, you know, beginner to moderate. Um, I do help certainly people who are a little bit more advanced. But um, for one, I, I do think that like if somebody comes to me and they're very advanced, um, I might even like refer them to somebody else just because the amount of time um, and attention required, even sometimes um, I'll recommend somebody in person, you know, somebody who can actually see them doing the lift. I mean, if they're really at a high level, um, sometimes having something in person is really helpful. But at that beginner to intermediate level, for one, I think you can make the biggest changes. You know, I mean, if somebody's already advanced, for the most part, they, they know what they're doing. 
Um, whereas that beginner intermediate, I mean, you could just spend an hour talking with them and just like completely, you know, change and revolutionize what they're doing because they just don't know, you know, they're getting all their stuff from Instagram fitness or TV or, you know, whatever celebrity they think looks good. Um, so that's one thing. And then two is because, um, maybe like you, I did have a time, like a, a struggle making this just a regular part of my life. Um, something I've talked about a few times is like in high school. And thankfully, I, I kind of learned it in high school before I got to college. But um, I definitely lost out on plenty of social opportunities in high school because I was just completely obsessed. I remember like I remember driving around with my brother who's a couple years older and our friends on a Friday night and telling them they had to drop me off at home at like 9 p.m. Because I had to get up at 5 a.m. on Saturday to go to the gym with my dad, you know, and I'm sure if I was a top pro right now, people would say, oh, well, that's such great dedication at such a young age. But in reality, you know, 99% of us are not going to be pros and we should be trying to make this a part of our life. And frankly, as much as it might be impressive dedication, that was a kind of foolish decision for a 15 year old to make. You know, I think people in that uh, situation should probably be focusing on, on having fun. And, you know, obviously it's a balance. Um, but I did struggle for a while, um, making it a part of my life and, and being okay with maybe going out to eat or, you know, going even just socializing or drinking or anything like that as long as it's part of my life. So I do like talking to those people um, who have a hard time doing that, just like you mentioned. Yeah, um, that brings me to uh, another question, which I didn't plan on asking. But since you mentioned it, uh, I know that the main reason for me that I got into fitness, which I've always sort of been into sports and I liked doing some push-ups at home. And I was kind of interested in eating healthy even as a younger kid. But I sort of gotten into actually going to the gym and trying to progress and all those kinds of things maybe seven years ago. So not, not as long as you have. But I know that for me, the thing that really propelled me to get into this seriously was that I was just battling with a ton of insecurities elsewhere in my life. Like I had problems socially at the time I in the college that I just started. I was feeling really insecure, didn't really feel like I belonged there. I didn't feel like I was smart enough for me to complete my studies and a lot of insecurities like that. And honestly, it was a, an escape mechanism, mainly, that I got into fitness so seriously. So all the obsessions that I developed were, it wasn't really like, oh my God, I developed these obsessions and now they are preventing me from enjoying life. I almost developed them intentionally so that I could not focus on the other problems that I had. So um, I know that probably that is a bit more serious than most cases, but did you have some elements of that in your own uh, journey? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure everybody has something. Like, I mean, we're all insecure about something. Um, I don't know if it was, you know, I, I almost remember being surprised that I wasn't like bullied or anything when I was a kid because I, I was a little more socially awkward and I remember being like kind of a fat kid, but I was never really like made fun of or anything like that. Like I know, like if you talk with Lane Norton, you know, he talks about how he was just belligerently bullied as a, a kid. Um, thankfully, I, I never really went through anything like that. Um, but I do remember just not being happy with how I looked. And I mean, honestly, it was very ego driven, too. I mean, I remember my uh, like middle school crush, I was like losing weight. And uh, she made a comment at like a pool party. And I was like, Oh, okay. And then, you know, like neighbors who knew me as like kind of like the fat kid were complimenting me. Um, so it definitely, you know, improved my self esteem a lot. And I, I just liked the feeling of improving myself. Um, I think the obsession actually came in when I wasn't getting the expected results. You know, um, I think there's a few people who talk about there's like a quote, like um, people who, you know, can't make it make the best coaches and stuff like that. Because if you are like me and you kind of have this obsessive, like I'm going to hit my goal no matter what mentality, um, and then you're not hitting your goals, you start to wonder, am I doing something wrong? Which is definitely, um, you know, I, I've 
kind of have a negative opinion of forums, like, you know, like the T Nation forums and things like that, because I just remember people saying like, oh, well, if you're not 200 pounds within two years of lifting, like you're doing it wrong. Um, so I'm like, you know, this 16 year old kid and, and I'm making progress and everything. I'm getting bigger, but it was never anything like I expected. And I, I feel like if it was as I expected, you know, if I was just putting on muscle like crazy, one, I probably would have been that annoying guy who thought it was all hard work, you know, and not genetics because I wouldn't have known any better. <laughs> But two, um, I just probably wouldn't have looked into it more, right? Like if I was hitting my goals and just doing basic stuff, I would have just been happy with that. But it was the lack of results of, you know, gaining as much muscle as I wanted to that really made me obsessive because I do kind of have an obsessive mindset when I have a goal that like I'll do anything to hit it. Um, and so it got to the point that it was, like I mentioned before, kind of unhealthy, but that's where I would say, I guess if you want to call it an insecurity or anything like that, it's just, um, it was probably the one thing in my life where I felt like my input was not ma- matching the output. Um, and basically, like, you know, with the finances or anything like that, if I worked harder, I'd make more money with school. If, if I studied harder, I got better grades. Um, but this was one area where I felt like it didn't matter if I was pushing, you know, if I was 300 times as obsessed, it just, got, I got the same result. And that's actually something I, I try to tell clients a lot is like, look, you know, if you are like doing 80% of the work, like you're going to get most of it. Or even like, you know, even if you're just focusing on the basics, you're going to get most of it. Um, and getting completely obsessive with this, it's just one of those endeavors where it doesn't necessarily pay off to be that much more obsessed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've heard, I've heard, uh, you exploring that theme in a couple of your interviews. And that, that is definitely something that interests me, the whole genetics part of this. Um, how, like, where do you stand in terms of genetics or would you say you are below average, just that average or where, where would you say you're standing here? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting question. I know some people say, oh, like, why bother talking about genetics because you can't change it? And like, I, I get what they're saying, but I also don't agree with it because like, look, like the reality is people have limitations, right? And like, you know, they're just, if you're five, six, you're probably not going to be in the NBA. It's just how it is. And so, um, for me, it, it's tough because you also have to consider that, just by looking at a gym, and this is actually one of my first podcasts with Mike Isretil, um, we talked about this, like just by walking into a gym, you're already dealing with people generally with above average genetics, because in most things in life, people gravitate towards what they're good at, right? So if somebody has just bottom of the barrel, terrible genetics, and they go into the gym, they're going to give up after a while, for the most part, you know, if they're not seeing any results, you know, they're one of like the elusive uh, non responders or something like that, they're not going to keep going back into the gym. Whereas, you know, the people who really do well in the gym and really respond, they're going to be in there a lot more often. So if you actually took, let's say, like every male and compared me genetically, as far as like from like a hypertrophy standpoint, you know, I might be like middle of the road, you know, but when you compare me in like, let's say the fitness industry, I'm definitely on the smaller end there, no question, because most of the people who are making a job out of this, you know, making their career out of this, they have standout physiques and, and they tend to have much better than average genetics, even if, you know, obviously things are a little skewed with people using drugs and things like that. Um, I do remember being surprised by that, though, because I was always kind of into athletics when I was young. Um, and most things, if, if I tried, I, I did pretty well in sports. So um, that certainly doesn't always transfer over, though, to, um, you know, muscle growth, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it is. It is interesting uh, that seriously, when you have really, really good genetics, what you're what you're doing almost doesn't matter. Like, and you can you can see some of these guys, like Jeff Side, for example. Like a lot of people accuse him with steroid use, and he may be using. I don't know, but you can see pictures of him just starting out. Like maybe he was 15, 16 years old, like right. half or a third of the muscle mass that he has now, and it is like you can see the structure, the foundation already being there. And it's interesting, like just. Um, saw a post not that long ago from Menno Hanselmans about uh, antioxidant use and how that can impair muscle growth. And that especially 
downing something like vitamin C close to your training could hamper muscle growth rates. And then uh, I was, I'm following this guy. He's, he's natural, but it's pretty clear that he has pretty good genetics. And he was taking us through his full day of eating and whatnot. And like literally right after his training session, he's downing a massive spoonful of vitamin C. Like that is just his supplement protocol. And it's like, well, yeah, when you have good genetics, it pretty much doesn't matter what you're doing. So it is just a set reality, I guess. Yeah. And, and it's tough because, and again, that's kind of what I was saying before. It's like in most areas of life, you know, when you try harder, you get better results. People who, you know, I'm not going to say like every wealthy person is good with finances, but on average, you know, they are probably better with finances than people who are very poor. Um, you know, if you go to a financial advisor and you find out that they, you know, they're not doing so well financially, you're probably going to wonder like, why are you taking their advice? Um, same thing with like coaches and all of that. But um, when it comes to this, the reality is genetics can make such a huge difference. And then of course, drugs can also make a monumental difference. So I mean, you could have somebody who literally knows almost nothing, but has even decent genetics and is using drugs. And I mean, they could just have a completely stellar physique. Um, and there are some people who really do know a lot about what they're talking about, but you look at them and, and you just never even know that they lifted. Um, and I, I don't know how much success there's really ever going to be in changing that because, you know, a lot of people who are into fitness and on Instagram fitness and things like that, it's a superficial thing and, you know, it's fine. Um, but they're always, I think, going to be looking at the people that they want to look at or look like. Um, and it, I think when you actually look at this evidence-based community, as great as it is, the size of it compared to, you know, what's out there with some of these like Instagram models and putting out these like booty programs and whatever that aren't really based on anything. Um, it's kind of hard to overcome that and convince somebody who's only in this one or two years, like, no, don't listen to that. Like, here's the science because they're, they're really not that interested a lot of the time or they've just not presented with it. And I think it, that's hard to overcome. Right. So uh, you mentioned that you've been training for like 15 years and probably you've made most of the progress that you're going to make. Like uh, at this point, um, sounds like a cliche question, but I'm actually interested because I'm kind of getting there myself. Like what is it that keeps you motivated? Like do you find things that motivate you to go and train and push yourself or are you just like kind of identify the 80-20? Like what, what are the few things that are going to produce most of the results? You just focus on those or do you still try to do the most you can to still improve? Yeah, I mean... It has been kind of like a, a mental struggle because for a while it's like, well, let me try to get like certain PRs on lifts, right? So, you know, I'll do like a bench specialization or an overhead press specialization, whatever. And that's great. But the reality is when you're doing that, right, and you already have as much muscle as you're going to have, you're basically just getting better at the lift, right? You're improving like the neural component of it. But once you stop doing that, it'll just go back to what it was. So, I mean, if you want to, you could just, you know, like I was doing pull-ups for a while and just how good could I get? And I got up to like 30 bodyweight pull-ups. Um, when I stopped doing them frequently, I got down to like maybe like 20 or so. And if I wanted to, I could get back up to 30. But again, it's more just a fun personal goal. I realize that nothing really is like putting on real muscle at this point. Um, and so to stay motivated, I mean, part of it is just realizing that like this is something everybody should do that like even for just your health, it's good to do. Um, and I, I do have a big focus on health. So there's that. Um, I have... I think there's an ego aspect to this where you don't want to stop doing the big lift because you feel like you should, or you don't, you feel like you're maybe like not as intense, right? Like you want to kind of like maintain that persona of like, no, like I'm intense. I go to the gym all the time, these things like that. But in reality, and, and this is actually a topic I'm probably going to bring up on my own podcast at some point is I feel like there is an argument to be made that if you finally accepted that you're not going to get that much bigger, you could really just back off 
quite a lot and just do other things in your life. I mean, I think most people, once they've gotten like, you know, most of their progress could probably just do two or three workouts a week and be fine. Now, I haven't gotten quite to that point that I'm <laughs> accepting that, I guess. Um, but I, I think you probably could do that and just focus on other things. I mean, even like I said, Mike Israel is progressing a lot, but you know, he has, he's really into Brazilian Jiu Jitsu right now. Um, people get into other endeavors. So I've really tried to step back and not look so much about like, am I progressing in the gym? Like, you know, each time I go in there, but like, can I keep it fun? Can I keep it entertaining? And can I keep doing it for my health? Uh, Cause hopefully it's something I do for life. Um, I actually thought it was interesting that Brian Haycock in our interview, he said that he thought it was like obsessive that I've never taken more than like a week or two off. And I, I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, I don't see a need that like you should be taking much longer than that off. Um, I guess if it happens, it's, it's not a huge deal. Um, but for me, it, it does feel a little weird to be out of the gym that long. And so um, hopefully that's the place most people can get to where it feels weirder to not be in the gym than it does to be going regularly. Yeah. And I think, I think that is where what I mentioned in the beginning, that's one reason what kind of made me gravitate towards um, serving this niche. Because it's, it's almost like you get to a point where basically any additional gains that you make, you need to work much, much harder for those. And they're not going to produce like monumental results. Like they're, it, it's not going to transform the way your physique looks. Um, and, you know, at that point, if you're really passionate about this, then you're still going to work really hard. But I think most people kind of want to get to that point. Like that's where you've put on maybe 95% of the muscle you're ever going to put on. And after that, the, the real challenge becomes like finding a balance where you're still doing it. You do enough to not regress, but then you discover other hobbies and other things that excite you in life. And um, I think that that's a big skill. I think that a lot of people need to learn. Like it's not, it's not intuitive. It's almost like if you don't do that, then it's almost easy to get into like some kind of an identity crisis. Like my God, like all, all the things that I worked for so hard, I achieve them now pretty much like, what do I do now? Because it's not like other areas, like in business, for example, you can always set another business goal or something like that. In physique, uh, you can hop on the juice or that's pretty much it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, man. And I mean, that's actually a, a great topic. And it's tough because like you said, there's just a point. I remember, so my dad was like pretty into tennis. And I remember him saying after he had played a certain game and he's like, you know, that's probably the best game of tennis I'll ever play. And he was probably in his 40s at that point. Um, he got started a little bit later. But like with this, like there's a point where you just know, like that's the heaviest deadlift I'll ever hit. That's like the best I'll ever look. And you just have to kind of accept that, like, you know, you can't just keep going on. Like, a, like you said, business, you can, right? You can, for the most part, just keep making higher and higher goals. Um, but you really do have to learn how to like get into other things. And the identity crisis is a great way to put it because um, for me, that was my identity, you know, like in dental school, like I was like one of the big guys in dental school and um, even just to, like cut down was hard. You know, I mean, I was probably like 210 at the time, um, definitely like one of like the bigger guys in the school. And I just remember thinking like, do I really want to cut down to like 180 right now? Like that was just like such a part of who I was. Um, and same thing with like obsessively going to the gym. If, if that's how you identify yourself as um, it is tough to kind of accept that. But I don't know if you uh, saw the recent talk I had with Lyle, but we were talking with Lyle McDonald. We were talking about kind of like delusional bodybuilders. And um, <laughs> I think that is honestly pretty common. And I, I mean, I guess it doesn't hurt if it keeps them motivated. Um, but there's plenty of bodybuilders and YouTubers and, and things like that who really have kind of looked the same for the last five years. But they're convincing themselves that they're making a lot of progress. And I guess it doesn't hurt anything other than the fact that like maybe you could be using that time to progress in other areas of your life, you know, and actually get more bang for your buck. 
Yeah, I think it's it's there's a problem that a lot of people get into that it's actually much harder often to progress in other areas of life. Like it's um I don't know if you know Cal Newport's work. Um he wrote Deep Work and um So Good They Can Ignore You. He has a couple of um I've heard of that one, but I haven't read it. Yeah, he. I really recommend his work. He is my favorite author in the nonfiction space. And he talks about the fact that, like a lot of people, he advocates kind of this digital minimalist uh, mindset, like only have the number of apps on your phone that are really essential to you. Don't use the internet and Facebook more than you really need to, like fill up your life with more meaningful things. And he said in one interview that one surprising revelation that he had is that when people actually stopped being on their screens all the time, when they stopped eliminating Facebook a little bit more and they tried to be a bit more present, only then did they realize just how much void is there in their life. And I think in many ways, fitness kind of serves the, the same role in, for many people. Like um, if you if you couldn't go to the gym, if you couldn't go through that two, three hour ritual of going to the gym, going through a hard workout, then have your post-workout meal, then spend the next hour in this semi-coma after that meal, like, what would you do with that time? Like, how are you doing socially? Like, how is your work life? I think um, it's literally filling up a void in many people's lives. That's, that's the way I'm thinking about it. I don't know if you agree. Yeah, totally. I mean, the times when I've not been working out, like, if I had to, like, take a week off for, like, surgery or something like that, um, yeah, I remember thinking, like, what do people do with, like, all this time they have? <laughs> because, like, I mean, like you said, I mean, if, if you, I remember on like the weekends in college, I mean, we'd get up, we'd kind of like play some music, whatever, we'd have our pre-workouts, we'd go to the gym, then we'd go to the dining hall. I mean, it was like, you know, maybe a third of the day is just gone from that. Now, obviously, it doesn't have to be like that. You know, of course, you could just do 40 to 60 minute workout and go about your day. Um, but certainly for a lot of people, I mean, it is their entire life. And then, you know, when they have 10, 15 minutes here and there, they're on Instagram checking out fitness. And like you said, it doesn't even just apply to the fitness world. I mean, this certainly applies to Facebook and stuff like that. I mean, a lot of people just go through life, you know, they go to work, <laughs> they kind of buy, they might have an hour here and there, they just kind of watch a little TV until then. Um, I think a lot of people use fitness and other things just to kind of coast through life and, and rather than really focusing on where they could improve. Because like you said, it's hard. It's hard to step back and analyze yourself and say like, where can I get better? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really funny. Actually, I was just... Um... Recently, I was going through some photos in my phone and I found some from last year when I was like, I don't know, maybe nine, 10% body fat. I looked actually way too skinny because I had even less muscle than I do now. I looked scrawny. And you look at that picture, your first reaction is, this kid needs to eat. Like, what the hell is this person doing? And I was cutting at the time. I clearly remember I was still trying to cut hard. And I was, I was showing it to a friend and I was like, like, what the fuck was I doing? Like, why did I think that I needed to cut? And he just looked at me and said like, well, probably you were just looking for something to do. And that is so true. That is, that is exactly what I was doing. So yeah, interesting how that works. And part of it, I think is um, maybe a little bit different than your case, but I think also it's hard to step back when you get focused on one thing. You know, I know a lot of girls in, in fitness who they think, oh, I've got like this like little pouch on my belly or, or something that they want to get rid of. And they just don't realize how much it's changing. Like if they lose that, they have to lose 10 pounds and then everything else looks worse. And like as an extreme example for myself, um, I remember my freshman year at the time, I was only like I was like 5'10", I guess, maybe 5'11". And I was 130 pounds and still trying to cut because I was like kind of like classic skinny fat. Like it was always very hard for me to see abs. So even when I was like easily like the skinniest person in my class, I still wasn't the leanest. So I remember like people thinking like I was anorexic and it was like, no, like I realized how skinny I am, but I still don't have abs. And like I just was obsessed with that one thing, you know, uh, to the detriment of everything else. And I was still trying to cut. So uh, it can definitely get bad if, if you're focusing on just like one thing rather than trying to 
look a little more holistically. Yeah. Speak, speaking of cutting, I I think I heard you mention in um, some part, maybe when you were uh, talking with Eric Trexler, uh, maybe I heard you mentioned there that during some cutting cycles, like you literally couldn't sleep anymore. And then you needed to come up with strategies of like, what do you do when you wake up in the middle of the night? And then when do you fit in your workout when you only slept like three hours or so? Um, and then I also heard you mention and coming to a similar conclusion as what I've gotten to, which is that, you know, 15% body fat when you have a decent amount of muscle actually looks pretty good. You don't necessarily need to stay at 10. So how have you gone about these cutting cycles and body fat percentages? Um, how has your philosophy, or not philosophy, but approach changed to what kind of body comp you're trying to maintain year round and that kind of stuff? Yeah. Um, I mean, for one, definitely the sleep is like one of the first things to go for me. Unfortunately, it's very hard for me to sleep when I'm hungry. Um, and it's tough because it's like, you know, I remember thinking like, well, if I got up and like ate like a big bowl of oatmeal, I'd probably be able to fall asleep. But the problem with that is one, now I have 300 calories or less later in the day. So I'm going to be even hungrier. And two, I didn't want to condition my body to start waking up in the middle of the night for food. You know, I kind of almost wanted to like shut it down and be like, nope, like you just have to go to sleep. But Sometimes it just it just wouldn't work. Um, and depending on the time, I mean, if I woke up at three in the morning, I probably wouldn't do this. But let's say I was going to try to get up at six and I ended up getting up at like 430 or something. I would just try to go to the gym and almost like what I would say, like beat the fatigue in the sense that like I'll work out before I realize like how tired I am, you know, because if I were to try to wait until like that afternoon, I would just be so exhausted. It, it just would be awful. Um, and unfortunately, man, like I don't have a great answer for like if, if you're just somebody who has really poor sleep when dieting. I mean, there's just a lot of people who have that. And I don't know if there's outside of like certain sleep drugs, which I, I wouldn't recommend for a few reasons. Um, but outside of that, I don't know if there's great strategies. I mean, certainly I would try to put my food later in the day. You know, if, if I, I'd like to do intermittent fasting just because it's convenient and I'd like to be full at least at some points of the day. So I'll put my food later. Um, I'd really try to like do every all like the sleep hygiene, you know, get off my phone an hour beforehand, not be around screens just to get into a deeper sleep so that I could hopefully push through. Um, that was one that was probably like, the biggest thing I did that at least helped. Um, and, it, and it's usually not until I get like fairly lean, I would say um, that it gets really bad, but it, it's probably affected to some degree from the start. And um, another big change I had in, in how I went about cutting was I just completely eliminated like all out cheat days because unfortunately, I had a coach myself back in like 2011. And he just was like, we really push these like cheat days. And I remember like feeling super guilty about it at first, like, oh, man, I can't like eat all this like junk food. But then I was like, okay, this is cool. But the problem is, I mean, especially when dieting, man, like, I mean, it would be a cheat day on like a Saturday and I'd be thinking about it by like Wednesday or I would like be up in the middle of the night and I would like convince myself like, yeah, like a cheat, you know, I'll just do it a day earlier. And like, I mean, it just wasn't good. Like I, I have a lot of self-control. Um, but man, like when you are just like starving, it, it, you just start to rationalize things in order to like get some food, you know? Um, and, and so I definitely am much more moderate now with my refeeds. Um, and I, I very rarely recommend people do all out cheat days just because I, I think especially when you're dieting, it can just lead to problems and a, a bad relationship with food. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting because, um, I remember reading the book of John Kiefer, Carb Night, where, yeah, like he was basically recommending these weekly Re or Well, he didn't even call them refeeds. He was fairly open about the fact that this is kind of a binge day. And uh, I tried them a few times. And it's interesting because at first it didn't really affect me that badly psychologically. I just 
kind of noticed immediately that hold on like this doesn't really work out log logistically i'm literally gaining back the one pound that i lost throughout the week like i'm just spinning my wheels not getting anywhere but uh yeah definitely it definitely doesn't foster good uh a good relationship with food at the very least but um how do you um are you still trying to do like a couple of cutting cycles annually, like trying to get lean or are you just trying to maintain a more sustainable body fat percentage for yourself now year round? So back in 2015, I had done like a pretty serious diet. Um, I was going on a cruise. So I just wanted to try to get lean. And then I said to myself, like, I'm going to do one last like mega bulk. Like all my, I've always done like a yearly kind of bulk and cut cycle since I was, like I said, like high school. Um, but I was like, let me actually really see what's going to happen if I do like two years. So I went up from, man, I got up to like 220 pounds or so. Um, and I, I mean, I was the biggest I'd ever been probably the strongest I'd ever been. Um, I mean, it was fun. You know, I mean, I got a lot of compliments, certainly like with clothes on, I just looked pretty big. But um, after I cut down, you know, I cut down from like, like 35 pounds. Um, and I gained, I probably netted like two pounds from all that, which, you know, after that much time isn't horrible. I mean, it's nice to make any progress. But after that, I was like, man, <laughs> like that was a lot of work. I spent a lot of time being very, very full and a lot of time after that being very, very hungry. And I netted like, I don't know, an eighth of an inch on my arm. Or, you know, it was just, it just wasn't that much. Um, and so at this point, you know, I, I, I got pretty lean at that point and then I bulked up a little bit more, but not really with the intention of ever doing that again. But I just knew like it wasn't going to net much, if anything. Um, so right now I'm sitting at a little over 200. Um, I will probably get to around 190 and then just try to maintain like a fairly lean physique year round. Um, just because it's just more enjoyable for me. Um, I, like I said, once I've, it's hard to accept that you're not going to really progress anymore. But I think once you do, you can kind of enjoy things more. And like, you know, when you are, like I said, either really full or really hungry, like three quarters of the year, it just kind of sucks. You know, you're just not enjoying things that much. Um, and I think it's worth it, you know, at the start of your lifting career. You know, I, I do think everybody should do, you know, one or two like pretty big bulks. I do think it actually pays off. Um, but after that, you know, I don't, I don't think you need to torture yourself. Yeah. Um, what do you think about the whole volume topic? Like I saw you interviewing Eric Helms and Mike Israel as well, and also Lyle McDonald. So pretty uh, contrasting opinions there. Uh, what, what, what are your thoughts about the whole volume as the main driver of hypertrophy? And then, um, you know, then we have other uh, aspects like progressive overload and things like that. So what are your thoughts? Uh, okay, so I don't <laughs> agree with um, how Lyle goes about, you know, his points. Um, I do agree with him on the whole that like the thing is, I don't think anybody like Eric or Mike or anything were really trying to say that like that new volume study with Schoenfeld means that we need to do 45 sets or anything like that. I think it was just one study that we have, you know, the quality of the study, I can't really comment on. Um, I, you know, I have a little bit of background in statistics, but, but nothing certainly like James Krieger. Um, but I, I think that it was just one more study to show us that, yes, obviously, like to a point, higher volumes can result in more growth. Um, but I don't think that it's actually as important as some people make it out to be. Um, I think that there are plenty of people who get massive on relatively low volumes. Um, I think by far, like increasing load is the most important thing. But again, it, it's not necessarily, it's more like, how do you go about doing that, right? Is the added volume adding muscle, which is then allowing you to add the load or, you know, like what came first? Um, I think for most people, somewhere in the range of 
seven to 15 sets per week is fine. Um, I think there's some utility in increasing the volume over a mesocycle and then backing off and doing it again. But, um, and this is something, you know, Brian Haycock and I discussed as well. I don't think that we're talking monumental differences. I mean, even Mike Isertel, who is known for popularizing all these volume landmarks, has said that for most people, it's not going to make a huge difference. It might get you there a little faster. Um, and so it is fun, you know, for people like us to talk about it, to see, you know, what we think is going to be optimal versus just slightly less than optimal. Um, but I do think some people really overthink it. Um, I think as long as you have moderate volume, and you're focused on, on some type of periodization. You know, I, I do think periodization is important, but some type of periodization to make sure you're getting stronger over time, that's really uh, where you're going to get the most progress. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, um, now that you are in this um, more like resignated uh, state of mind in terms of your own progress, like uh, where, how do you like to set up your own, own training? Like how many days of the week you're training? How much, how many sets are you doing? Yeah, so I, I do um, an upper-lower split uh, that just works for me. I will usually do, like, you know, the weekend, and then I'll find two days during the week that work out. Total, I guess it's hard to say because, you know, again, how are you counting the volume? Like, does a bench press count for triceps? You know, does a pull count for biceps? Um, but for the most part, I would say I'm doing about 10 to 15 hard sets, you know, and not counting, like, warm-ups and stuff. Like, 10 to 15 hard sets per muscle group. Um Close to failure, maybe the last set of an exercise I will do to failure. And, you know, like I said, if I can make progress, I try to. You know, I'm, I'm certainly not in there just going through the motions. I will try to get like a rep here and there. Um, but it, I'm not also like sacrificing form. I mean, as you know, like you could change form a little bit and eke out like three more reps, but that's not really progress, you know, and you're, at this point, you're probably just more likely to get hurt anyway. Um, so it's, it's nothing too exciting. I think. Probably the next step in my, uh, like you said, like resignation of like, you know, just kind of realizing I'm not going to get that much bigger might be to just start doing what I think is fun. Um, that's something that I've, I've had a very hard time ever like letting go of doing like a structured routine. But if I'm being honest with myself, I really don't think it would be that much different if I just went in and decided, you know what, like what exercises do I want to do? Like within reason, like not just like doing like cable flies and tricep kickbacks and stuff, but like, you know, what exercises do I find fun this day and just push myself? Um, I think I'll always want to have a few key lifts in there. Um, like, uh, what's his name? Martin Burkham from Lean Gains. Uh, you know, he, he has like four lifts that he just like a couple times a year tests. And, and I think that's a good idea. You know, I think if you are really just maintaining your strength or, or trying to improve your strength on a few key lifts, you could probably get by on just doing volume with some what you think are like more fun exercises. Um, so maybe one day I'll, I'll, I'll drop to that. I just haven't haven't got to that point yet. Right. Okay. So um, to uh, slowly wrap things up here, I'm, I'm interested in in your interviews, have you had um, have you had any kind of favorite episodes that you've done, or any kind of favorite insights, or like I don't know. Personally, when I'm interviewing someone, sometimes I just have those moments where I'm like, "Damn it, that was such a powerful moment in the interview." And sometimes it doesn't quite come across like that on the listener end later on, but in the moment when you're in the flow of a conversation, it just really hits you hard. Uh, do you have anything like that that comes to mind in yours? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I've really enjoyed most of my interviews. I mean, the first one or two, um, it was probably harder for me to enjoy. So I, I think the first one I recorded, actually, no, the second one I recorded was with Eric Helms. Um, and again, I've been watching Eric's stuff. I mean, we've actually been listening for a similar amount of time, but I've been watching his stuff since like 2011. And I had just started the podcast. 
So I just remember like thinking like, okay, like I'm recording this. This is going to go out. Like probably thousands of people are going to see this. Um, you know, it was definitely a little bit new for me and it was harder to actually like just be able to enjoy the conversation. Uh, but now that like I'm, you know, a little bit more used to it, I really enjoyed the one with, uh, Scott Stevenson and Eric Helms I put out a few weeks ago. Um, that had really good feedback and both of those guys are really intelligent. Probably two of my favorite people in this industry just because they're, they are both very, very intelligent, but very humble um, about it. And they, they really give good insights. And they also have such different views. I, I shouldn't even say very different views. They come across differently if you don't have in-depth conversations with them. I'm, I'm fortunate enough to really be able to like have real conversations with them. But if you were just to read, you know, Scott Stevenson's like Fortitude training, and then you were to read uh, like Eric's work, you know, you might think that they're really different. And, that, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to bring them on together. Um, but theirs was great. Uh, the one with Mike Israel, I thought was really good. I don't know if I have anything that's like this one moment, um, but there are certainly some people that like really stick out to me that I was looking forward to posting about. Yeah. And just out of curiosity, uh, what did you think of your interview with Burger? Uh, cause, uh, it, it, it was interesting, um, in the sense that like you had a lot of guys on talking about how to optimize things. And he was, he was openly saying to you, uh, that his recommendation for people is to accept a slightly slower rate of gains that you can maintain and enjoy for life. Um, what, what do you think about that message? No, I mean, I, I love it. Um, I think it's a harder sell because when you get into this, you know, people are obsessed. They, they want the best results and they want them now. Um, and I think especially, and you know, I think we, we often deal with younger crowds. I mean, we certainly have people who are in their thirties and forties and older, but a lot of people who are getting into it are, you know, teens and in their twenties. Um, and they want the results as soon as possible. I mean, I was certainly like that too. And so I get it. Um, so I, I mean, I, I really liked the conversation with him actually, and I would like to have him on again at some point. But I, I think it's probably a harder sell just in the sense that, you know, nobody wants to be told, well, no, like you, you'll just get there a little bit later, um, even if it actually makes sense. I mean, I think everything he said makes sense. I think, yeah, I think he said that he's lifting three times a week now, which is, you know, pretty much what I'm doing three or four times a week. Um, so I, I fully agree with him. Um, I just I could see it being harder with uh, the way the fitness industry is to kind of get that message out to people. Yeah, I mean that that just comes down to who or who you're trying to serve. Like if you're trying to serve the early twenties, um, you know, let's get jacked crowd, then obviously that's not gonna fly. Um but yeah. Um and is there anybody that you're really looking to interview or maybe um something in the pipeline that is not a secret um that you're excited about? Yeah, you know, it's interesting now because I've done I've done probably about fifty so far. And um you and I have certainly interviewed a lot of the same people. And I've actually kind of thought about that. I was like, shoot, like, I don't know, like, after a while, you're like, okay, I've kind of interviewed all of like the big names in this industry, like, where am I going to reach out to? Um, I don't actually have anyone like really big in mind, like off the top of my head, I, I'd like to kind of branch out a little bit, um, and maybe start talking to some people who are still in fitness, but like, I don't know, kind of have like their own branch of things. I'd like to get Jeff Nippert on. H have you talked to him? Yeah, yeah I had him on uh, twice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he seems like he'd be an interesting person to talk to. Um, a few other like YouTubers, maybe, but I think in terms of like you know our like evidence-based community, I I've talked to most people. I think maybe doing some collaborations would be cool too. Um, I actually just moved about thirty minutes from Mike Israel, so uh, we might try to get some in-person one, which would be pretty cool. Are you planning to interview Mano and someone's? That's the only one that I missed from your channel so far. <laughs> Oh, yeah. You know, I, I should get him on. I actually, I haven't reached out yet. Um, but yeah, you're right. I should try to get him on soon. Yeah. But it's interesting. I, I kind of, I've almost, almost gotten to the same type of conclusion on the podcasting front that, you know, I see a lot of podcasts which um, go through the first batch of 
you know, big names and maybe they do their first 50 to 100 interviews. And after that, it's just like, I almost feel like they're just getting people on because they just have to get people on to keep the podcast running. But they're like no real edit value anymore. Right. And I, I almost, right. <laughs> I, I had this idea that I'm just going to interview this set of five names, maybe like Mike, Eric, um, Menno, Berger, and I'm, I know James Krieger, maybe these guys, and then just rotate through them maybe like twice a year. And that's there, there, there it goes like 30 interviews for a year and then I'm covered. But yeah, it's, yeah. you cannot just run out of um, new insights to let people into when you're interviewing people. It's kind of sad. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what um, Jacob Skepis had said, too. He's like, yeah, you know, I just kind of talk to who I want to talk to because I don't really like know what to talk to other people about. Um, and I would agree. I mean, I guess it depends on your audience. That is one thing I, I do personally have a pretty big interest in health. Um, hopefully, I don't lose people's interest by, you know, because like right now, I'm sure most of the people who are subscribed to me are in the fitness industry. Um, so hopefully, you know, they, they find the health stuff interesting as well. Um, I think it's probably going to be, it, it's harder because a lot of times people will listen to podcasts like for the name itself, right? And so it's like people who have big followings rather than maybe people who are like, you know, like there's um, a guy I did research with, uh, Nicholas Radimus. He was a guy I worked with for a little while. And he's actually, I mean, he is the um, editor in chief of like a strength and conditioning journal. Um, he's definitely like a well-known name and I'm at some point going to have him on. And to be honest, I don't think he's going to get that much views because while he is very um, intelligent and he has a lot to say, people just don't know him, right? And so it depends, are you doing this for the views or are you doing this to try to get good content out? Um, and thankfully, I'm in a position where I don't really have to get a ton of views. I'm like, if I, it'd be great, but I can kind of just enjoy it. Um, so I do plan on branching out a little bit and trying to maybe talk to people who are in research or medicine, things like that. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's that's a great approach. Yeah. And I think it's awesome that you are not in a rush to like to explode your brand overnight. Like if it happens, then that's great. But you're not feeling pressured by that because you have your other career or you have your career and this is kind of just a side thing that you're doing. I think that's great because it makes it easier to stay true to uh, your mission statement or just true to yourself in general. So, yeah. Um yeah, man, uh, you really enjoyed this. So thank you so much for doing this. So yeah, just um, let people know uh, where they can find you and stuff. Sure. Yeah. So um, on YouTube, it's just Brains and Gains. Um, and we actually, we just started getting everything up on the different podcast apps. So you should be able to find it there. And um, on Instagram, it's just at Dave underscore McConey. Cool. Then uh, yeah, thanks so much for doing this. It was uh, cool talking to you. All right, guys, I really hope you enjoyed this interview with Dave. And if you did, then I would really appreciate if you could drop me a five-star rating on iTunes under the Sustainable Self-Development Podcast, because quite frankly, it will help me rank higher amongst other podcasts, get more recognition for the podcast, and ultimately, that will help me to keep making interviews like this for free and get on more quality guests that are willing to come onto this podcast and provide great value and information for you guys, and we can all enjoy listening to interviews like this for years to come so if you want to help me make that happen then please consider dropping that five-star rating on itunes i'm not asking you to leave some long comment or something like that i know that would take too much time but just drop that five-star rating and i will be super super grateful for you so thank you very much in advance and once again i hope you enjoyed this episode and with that see you next time